Ooh, candy. Good morning, Crestview family. Where's Sandra at? Me and I found it before Artie did today. How's everybody going? Everybody, everybody have a good week? Thank you for choosing to come worship with us today. I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad you chose to come here on this dreary Sunday morning, but it might be dreary outside, but I guarantee you the light of Christ is shining in here today. So glad to have you with us. A uh, few announcements before we get started. Uh, first one, before I forget about it, Miss Linda said to remind everybody of the WMU bake sale for, it's for Annie Armstrong, right? For Annie Armstrong going on in the fellowship hall after church. Is that each Sunday or is that yes, each through, Sunday? Yes, say April 14th. Um, I think that's when we're having it. Awesome. Potato salad thing. All right, so keep that in mind. Come visit the baked goods sale when you we, after church if you have a chance. Uh, also, uh, this week, the hoping it, so we looked at the schedule. The, Terry looked at the schedule, the weather for the week. Thursday is the only day it's not supposed to rain. So we're hoping to work if it's not raining, right? But if it's raining, he said to stay home because he's going to stay home. So, so uh, weather providing, we're going to we're going to rain uh, work this week. Uh, there's things in here about uh, the Century Kid and the Centrifuge, I mean, and the Fuge Camps for the summer. It's not too late. I have paid deposits and secured the spots that I know are going, but I, I am sure that I can add spots as needed. So if you know kids that want to go or youth that want to go, have them come and talk to me about it. Um, it did not make the bulletin this week, so let me pull my, ca my calendar out, and it'd be my fault it didn't make the bulletin. So... On March the 23rd is our uh, kids' uh, Easter celebration. We do an Easter egg hunt, we eat lunch, we do a Bible study together. So uh, if you want to donate candy to that, I have tons and tons of eggs. Uh, I just need candy to fill them up with. So uh, if, you want, if you'd like to donate candy with that, you can see me on a Wednesday or Sunday or drop it off in uh, Preacher Artie's office. Or maybe it'd be safer to put in the church office. I don't know. Oh, he said Nancy eats candy too. So there's no safe place to drop the candy off. But we'll take care of it and get it where you need, get it where it needs to be. So um, keep that in mind. Um, next week you have I'll have in the bulletin that just come out yesterday. We're gonna the youth will be participating with Faustin Baptist Church. They're doing a community uh, worship night for the youth later this month, and we're going to be going to Faustin. Uh, it's on a Sunday night. I believe it's the, I don't have it in front of me, but it'll be in the bulletin next week. It's later this month, and I will let my youth know Wednesday. Um, so I don't think there are any more announcements. Just don't forget about our Wednesday night services here in Sanctuary for Adults down in the building for kids. Love to have you come out. Uh, yeah. When's the time change? Next week, you will be late for church, early for church, if you don't. <laughs> time changes next week. Spring, we spring forward. So, uh, but most people have cell phones, and that's how they tell time, and it just pops up anyway. So, you know, so keep that in mind, though, uh, as time changes next week. And if there's any, nothing else, I'm going to turn it over to Preacher Artie. 
as we begin, and I just invite you to worship God with us this morning. You know what she came up here to grab? She made it look like she was grabbing her book. She was getting this chocolate that Terry left up here on the podium for her. That's why she's hanging her head. Everybody all over the internet just saw you do that. <laughs> Good morning. I have to tell you something else was funny. I was sitting there waiting in, in the Walmart parking lot for Ginger to come out Friday. And uh, out walks this guy. And I saw him through the window. I thought it was a bald man walking out. I'm like, there's somebody with my same haircut. Then I realized when I saw the walk, it was Chad. I swear, his hair, when he, 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 through that window, it looked like he was bald. And then I realized it was really blonde. Really, really blonde. <laughs> so, but it is good to be here this morning in the house of the Lord. I thank you for, for being here. And, and I hope that you came to worship our Savior this morning. And I hope you came ready and expecting to receive something from him. So, uh, and that's something we have to realize that sometimes we come to church and we think that we are here and our job is just to sit there and be fed. That's not what it is about worship. When you come, this is a participatory, did I say that correctly? Participatory action. You get in, out of it as much as you put into it. So I encourage you to participate today. Participate in worshiping our Savior. Participate in allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. Please continue to remember that we do have people that are, are, are going through things. Mike is still recovering from his fall. Diane Jolly is still dealing with the colitis. She actually found out this past week that she has a worse form of ulcerative colitis than they originally anticipated or expected. So she is still in a lot of pain. So continue to pray for her. And then uh, pray for Walt Connor. He is in the hospital. He does have a, an infection. And they are, are working at trying to get that cleared up. So continue to pray for him. And then pray for Whitey. He's up in the choir. And he has eight days before he goes in for shoulder surgery. So continue to pray for him because the pain is, is really bad right now. But pray that they don't move it again. Unless they move it forward. But don't, don't, no more post, postponements on his surgery. But um, just pray for each other. And if you would join me in prayer as we begin our time of worship together. Our blessed Heavenly Father, we come before you. Dear Lord, it is so good to laugh and joke with your people. 
but right now. This is why we are here. Is to come to You. To hear from You. Dear Lord, You have heard the names of the people that we need to lift to You in prayer today. Dear Lord, You know the names of the people that are on our prayer sheets. You know more about us than we know about ourselves. You know us intimately. Dear Lord, You know what we don't even want to share. But dear Lord, we ask that You work in each and every one of those circumstances. You know what needs to be done. And You, Lord, in many cases are the only ones that can do it. Dear Lord, I pray that today that You move among us. That Your Spirit opens our hearts and opens our minds so that we can hear and that we can receive Your Word today. That You take away any inhibitions that keep us from worshiping You fully today. You take away all the distractions so that we can fully concentrate on You. Dear Lord, above all, if there's someone here that does not know You as their personal Savior, dear Lord, that something today, whether it be through the singing, through the worship, through Chad's children's sermon, through me opening Your Word and reading from it and preaching Your Word. May the Holy Spirit touch them and draw them to You that they may not leave this place today without accepting You as their Savior. And dear Lord, I pray also, I've already prayed this today, but I pray it again that if if that is the case and someone comes to know You as their Savior, that we would be the church that would come alongside them and disciple them, teaching them to obey You. Teaching them to walk in You. So that we, dear Lord, can fulfill the Great Commission. Dear Lord, I pray all of this. And as we worship You, we give You all the honor and glory. And it is in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior, we pray. Amen. The Bible tells us over and over and over how great God is. And it tells us how He loves us. And the Bible also tells us to worship Him. So let us stand as we sing, O Worship the King, page 16, verses 1 and 2.
will continue to worship at this time through giving of our gifts, tithes, and offerings. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do honor you with our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless this gift and the giver. For it is your holy name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand again as we sing hymn number three, Worthy of Worship. We'll sing the first and the third verses.
have all the kids come down forward this morning. Got a question. Let's see if I'm missing somebody. Jackson's coming. Come on, bud. All right, guys. I brought something with me today. I brought me, other than making me look like one cool dude. Wait a minute. What's so funny about that? <laughs> other than making me, I don't look like normal. Thanks. I don't know. What is normal? Well, anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, what do these do? Anybody know what these do? Yes, they protect your eyes from what? The sunlight. So when it's really, really bright outside, I can see. There are lots of things that you can use for protection. We use sunscreen for protection from the sun. If you work uh, in a factory somewhere, you have, sometimes you have to wear hard hats and glasses and things for protection. So protection is important, right? All right, so today when we go to children's church, we're going to talk about protecting something more important than your head, your eyes, all those things. We're, we're going to talk about protecting your heart. You think, well, how do you protect your heart? How do you think you protect your heart? God, okay. Anybody else? How do you think you protect your heart? You know? Anybody? Nope. All right, so I'm going to read a verse for you. And this is Philippians 4, 8. It says, so listen to this, guys. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So what this Bible verse, we're going to talk a little bit more about it when we go to children's church, but we have to protect our heart, we have to protect our brain, we have to protect from the things of the world. There's lots of things out there in the world, lots of bad things you're going to run in contact with. Sometimes it's just going to be an accident. Sometimes there's ways you can, like the things we watch on TV, the things that we listen to, things like that, can really mess with our hearts and start to kind of make us drift away from where God wants us to be. And so we have to protect our heart from these things. And so just like sunglasses protect our eyes, there are things in the world that we have to protect our hearts from. And we're going to learn more about what those things are. But I want to share one thing with you you can do while we're in here to protect your heart, and that's this. You can stay in this. What is this? This is our Bible. This is God's Word. This is the one thing we can do, one of the things we can do to protect our heart is that no matter the things we go in through and see throughout the day, we read our Bible we talk to God in prayer, and we do these things to help us grow closer to God to keep our heart protected. And we're going to talk more about it when we get outside. So let's bow our heads, go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the wonderful things that you do for us and the things in the world that we have that are good and wonderful. Lord, we know there are things out there that we don't need to get out. We don't need to see. We don't need to hear. We don't even need to know about, Lord. I pray that through you, we're able to protect our hearts 
from those things, to keep us safe from sin and temptation. But Lord, when we mess up, when we do slip along the way, we're so thankful that Jesus Christ is our Savior and He died in our place. Lord, we love You and I praise You and I ask all this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
There we go. Is that better? Out of, the, out of my peripheral vision, I saw Dan jump up real quick up there, and I knew I got to get that fixed. Well, today we are going to continue looking at the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 3, and today we're looking at the church in Philadelphia. And before we look at the Scripture, I need to give you a little background about the city of Philadelphia. Of course, everybody knows Philadelphia means what? Brotherly love. It is actually named after the founder of this city who was his nickname was Philadelphus. So this city was the youngest of these seven cities where these churches were located, but it was a big city. It was a central city. It was founded as a missionary city. And you're like, well, wait a second. I hate to tell you this, but Christians are not the only ones that have missionaries. The city of Philadelphia was founded as a missionary city for the Greek culture. See, uh, this city was founded at a great highway that went from 
verse, the, the east to the west. So beyond Philadelphia was barbarians. The land of Feregria, I think is how you pronounce it. It was not cultured. So the purpose of Philadelphia was to take the Greek culture out into the wilderness. The Greek language, the Greek culture, the Greek gods, the, everything. So the city of Philadelphia was actually known as Little Athens. Its beautiful streets, its city was set up just like Athens. So as you walked through the cities of Philadelphia, you saw the different temples to the Greek gods. And the whole purpose was to take that culture out into the world. But it was also known for its earthquakes. They had frequent earthquakes. And when they would have an earthquake, the entire city was evacuated. And they would run out into the wilderness, away from the temples, away from the walls, away from everything, to protect themselves from the earthquakes. And when the earthquakes were over, they all returned to the city. That was a way of life there in Philadelphia. It was rich. It was cultured. And I will tell you this also. The Christians there in Philadelphia, they didn't have churches like we have now. Most of the churches in this early time, they met, the Christians met at the synagogues alongside the Jews. Just like Paul. When Paul visited a city, where was the first place that he went? To the synagogue. And he taught in the synagogue where other Christians were. That was his practice. The same thing was true here. But the Christians were expelled from the Jewish synagogues here in Philadelphia. So we need to understand that as well. So if you will turn to Revelation chapter 3, now that we have a, a, a background about the city, of Philadelphia, or the, the city of Philadelphia, we need to look at what Scripture says with Jesus' speaking this message to the church in Philadelphia. So we're going to start in verse 7 and go through verse 13. So if you would stand as I read God's Word, and again, as the, has been the last previous six messages. In my Bible, the letters are in red, signifying that it's who's speaking? Jesus. So here's what it says, in starting in verse 7 of chapter 3 of Revelation, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, Who is holy? Who is true? Who has the key of David? who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one, will, no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them... Bow, make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my, the word of my perseverance and I also will keep you from the hour of testing 
that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one can take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temples of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Our blessed Lord, thank You for what we see John recording as You speak the message to Your church. Help us to understand what You are meaning in this message, what You meant then and what You mean for us to know now. I ask all of this in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so as always, first thing we look at is how does Jesus describe Himself to His church? And remember that in each case, He is revealing something about His character that is, is pertinent to the message that He's sending. Pertinent to the church that is receiving this message. So look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David, who opens and no one can, will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. The first thing he says here is this. He who is holy, who is true. Two things. He is holy and He is true. Jesus reminds this church that He is holy and true. There is not, this is not describing His tendencies. Jesus doesn't just sometimes happen to be holy and just happens sometimes to be true. He is. This is who He is. This is His very being. It is not what He does, but it is who He is. And this word, there's two Greek words that are translated as true in the New Testament. The first one means true and not false. The second one, which is the word used here, elephanos, means true and not fake. So what Jesus is saying here is that He is true. He is not a fake God. He is the true God. He is not an imposter. He is the real deal. He is the great I Am. And then he says, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. Look at what that says. It says, then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut, and when he shuts, no one will open. Jesus is quoting Scripture. Jesus shows that He is the keeper of the keys. 
He expresses His power and His authority to include and to exclude. You guys remember the story of of Noah. When Noah had built the ark and the rains began to come, what did God do to the door? He shut it. And the Bible actually says He sealed it. You guys realize that nowhere in the description of, that God gave Noah on how to build the ark, it never said anything about a doorknob. You guys realize that? Was there any way of opening that door on that ark from the outside? No. Anyone that accepted God's Word, accepted the promise, accepted the warning and heeded the warning that God issued through Noah, was welcome to enter the ark as long as the door was open, right? But when God shut the door, could anybody else get in? No. What Jesus is saying. I have the authority to open the door. To allow anyone in that I, allow, that I want to come in. That I invite everyone that will to come in through the open door. In the Gospels, He describes His, his, his self this way. I am the way. I am the door. I am the truth. In fact, when He says, I am the door... He says, no one comes into the Father except through Me. The Scripture says in Isaiah, and again repeated here by Jesus Himself in Revelation, I have the keys. And if I open a door, no one can shut it. But when I shut the door, no one can open it. Jesus is saying, I have all authority and I have the authority and the power to include and exclude. We forget that part. In society today, we hear, well, how could a holy God reject anybody? God doesn't reject anybody. We are the ones that reject God. And we are the ones that have to face the consequences because time and time again, through the mercy of And grace of God, He has given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to accept Him, to accept Jesus Christ. But we are the ones who reject it. So God is not the one sending us to hell. We are sending ourselves to hell by rejecting God, rejecting Jesus Christ, by rejecting the gift of salvation. So that's what Jesus wants His church to know about. So what does... Jesus know about His church? Well, let's look. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept My Word and have not denied My name. 
I know your deeds. First thing. This is the same thing he's told all the other previous churches. I know your deeds. Jesus said that to each of the seven churches, the church at Philadelphia had served God well in difficult circumstances, and Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. And then he says, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. The church of Philadelphia had set before them an open door. Many times in Scripture, when it refers to an open door, it, re it refers to an ev evangelistic opportunity. Jesus told them, what He is telling them here, is that I have opened the door for you to be able to share the Gospel, to evangelize, and no one can stop it. Oh, think about that, church. Now remember, he is not just telling the church in Philadelphia this. He is telling all churches this. I have set before you an evangelistic opportunity, an opportunity for you to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to reach the world, and no one can stop it. Oh, church. Our first and foremost mission, any church's first and foremost mission, is to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't share the Gospel of Jesus Christ, then we need to stop calling ourselves a church. No one can stop it. That's Jesus' words. No one can stop it. I want to show you this. Look at 1 Corinthians 16.9. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. It's Paul talking to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians, again, Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now when I came to Troas for the Gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. And then Colossians 4.3. In its history, oh, excuse me, Colossians 4.3, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the world so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. And then, the next thing He says to the church, and this, listen, if there is no more encouragement for a small church than these words right here. Because you have a little power. This term here, little, in, in the King James Version, it says little strength. This term that's used here for little power or little strength, it does not imply weakness, but real strength. 
because this church was small, because they had faced opposition. They were not a huge church. But because they were small, they trusted in God for everything. See, sometimes when we have big churches, when we have lots of money, we lose our dependence on God because we think we can do it all ourselves. Now, I want you to, to think about something. Can we, right now, Crestview Baptist Church, can we do everything that a large church does? No, we can't. We can't, but we have to realize that when we can't, God can. We have to remember that. God can. We sing a song, little is much. When? What? When God is in it. You remember the widow and her might? She came in and gave of what she didn't have. And Jesus saw that and said, there was a rich man that came in and gave out of his wealth. And then this little widow came in and gave out of her poverty. And God said she has given more because she gave out of what she didn't have and trusted me to fill her needs. Church, there is nothing we can't do. There is nothing we can't accomplish because God is made strong in our weaknesses. That is talking as a church as a whole or us individually. When we trust in God to fill our needs, when we trust in God to give us the power. Remember what He told the disciples. Those that had gathered around that that hilltop as He left, He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall do what? Be My witnesses. Not within their own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God filling them, giving them the courage, giving them the strength, giving them the ability to do what God has asked them to do. So no, there is nothing that we cannot do. And God is reminding the church of Philadelphia and He's reminding us today that even though you are of little power, you are strong. Then he goes on and says, You have kept my word and have not denied my name. The church in Philadelphia was faithful to Jesus and His word. The idea behind having not denied my name is not the only thing that they expressed their allegiance to Jesus, but they lived the way that was faithful to the name and character of Jesus. See, we have to realize something. That it's not just our words that matter. But it's how we live. And the, church, the members of the church of Philadelphia, they lived their, their lives that it backed up what they said. You guys remember 
that old country song, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day? It's the truth. Sometimes people can't hear what you're saying because your actions are too loud. I was always told working with teenagers they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They'll listen when they know that you care about them. But they're not going to listen to you if all you're doing is telling them words and you're not showing it. That is true of the world as well. People aren't going to listen to you share the, the gospel of Jesus Christ when you don't even live like you believe it yourself. The church of Philadelphia was faithful in the way they lived their lives and they didn't deny their name, the name of God or the name of Jesus or His Word and the, what they said and how they lived. Now I want you to look at these, the, the features of the church of Philadelphia, these characteristics of this church. One is that they had evangelistic opportunity. I have set before you an open door. Two, they had reliance on God. You have a little strength. Everything they did was through the, re the reliance on God. And faithfulness to Jesus have kept my word and have not denied my name. They were faithful. Now look at what Jesus will do for this church. Verses 10-9. through 9 or excuse me, 9 and 10. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I will also keep, from, keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the earth the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. First thing he says I'm going to do for you is I'm going to cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. This is not the first time that we've heard this terminology in a letter of the, to, to one of the churches. The synagogue of Satan. Those that say that they are Jews, but they're really not. Jesus here is not looking at authenticity. He's not looking at those that claim to be Jews ethnically. But He's looking at those that claim to be Jews spiritually by keeping the commands of God. See, the problem is, is that the same problem that exists in some churches today. That they think, they thought if they did this, 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 and this, that they were okay. Well, there's churches today that believe that if you wear a certain type of clothes, have your hair cut a certain way, do, do this, don't do this, and, and a list of these do's and don'ts, that you're okay. That you're being holy. You're being righteous. 
But does our righteousness come from what we do or don't do? Where does our righteousness come from? From the Holy Spirit, from Jesus. We do and don't do because of Him, not because of ourselves. We don't do it to earn anything. We do it as a result of what we have received. So these Jews that he's talking about, this is not all Jews, please. This has been so misunderstood. You think about it. The whole thing with Adolf Hitler against the Jews. And Christians bought into it then. That they were ostracizing. They were rejecting. They were killing Jews thinking they were doing the right thing because they had rejected and killed Jesus. Even today, there are groups that want the Jews dead because they rejected Jesus. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about the entire race of Jewish people. He's talking about a particular group. That is like lumping all Baptists in the same category. It don't fit. I'm telling you what, there's more different types of Baptists than I have socks. I'm telling you, no matter where you go, there are kind. There's independent Baptists. There's fundamentalist Baptists. There, there's uh, Southern Baptists. There's Northern Baptists. There's American Baptists. There's Free Will Baptists. There are Bapticostals. They're the ones that the arms can go above their shoulders in, in praise and worship. There are those that are King James only. There's, there are those that are NIV only. There are those that don't even use the Bible. Lumping everybody together in one category is wrong. But we have to understand that Jesus is not calling all Jewish people a synagogue of Satan, but He's referring to one particular group in both churches. He's referring to that particular synagogue that was there in those cities. But what does Jesus say He's going to do? Is He going to destroy these people in the synagogue of Satan? No. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Listen, this is, this is easy to misunderstand. He is not talking about having them come and worship the Christians. That's not what He's meaning here. These words that are used is mean, are meaning that they're going to come alongside realizing that what they are saying is true. That the Gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, He's going to reach these people in this synagogue of Satan. And these Jews are going to discover and realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And that God loved them. And they're going to come alongside and worship with them. Not worship them. Church, 
Sometimes we think that we need to be up on a pedestal. And we don't. The only difference between a Christian and a lost person is what? Salvation. Which means that we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. We have to remember that. We are forgiven. Should there be a difference in the way we live our lives and the way that someone out in the world lives their lives? Most definitely. Why? Because we have Jesus in us. He's not just up here, but He's here. And when Jesus is in you, your life is different. There needs to be a difference in the way we do things. Not because we're better. It's because Jesus is the best. Not because of anything that we did or do, but because of everything that He does. I will keep you from the hour of testing. Now listen, there could be a whole sermon series on this part of this verse alone. I will keep you from the hour of testing. Jesus promised them protection from the hour of trial coming for the whole world. Many biblical scholars believe this is referring to the rapture. It is not clear in this verse if He's promising to keep them from experiencing the tribulation or that He's going to be with them and protect them during the tribulation. And I'm not going to get into the whole pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib thing. Because there are people that believe that Scripture teaches that you're not going to experience any of the tribulation. There are people that believe that, that Scripture teaches that you're only going to experience the three and a half years of good part of the tribulation period. And so the rapture is going to take place at that point. And there's people that believe that Scripture teaches that you're going to be we're going to be raptured at the end of the tribulation period after the seven whole years of the tribulation period. Here is the thing I want you to understand. Jesus promises that He's coming back and He's going to take us, right? When does it say that's going to happen? The Scripture says, Jesus says, I don't even know when this is going to happen. Two, the fact that Jesus is going to come back, if God wants us to experience the tribulation, God's going to give us the power to endure it and He's going to protect us. Whether it's mid-trib or post-trib. This Scripture says, I'm going to keep you from experiencing this. Whether it means He's going to protect them through it or take them away before it? I don't know. But all I know is that God says, Jesus promised, I'm coming back to get you. And I'm going to take you with me. What did He promise the thief on the cross? Today, you will be with me in paradise. So when that thief died on that cross, where was He? In heaven with Him. In paradise with Him. That's all I know. But that's something big. 
So God is promising to, Jesus is promising to protect them during this tire, to keep them from that hour of testing. So what does he want his church to do? Look at verse 11. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold fast to what you have. Hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold on to those evangelistic opportunities. Hold on to the faith and the the dedication that you have and the relying on God that you have. Don't let go of that. Keep doing what you're doing, is what he's saying. And then he says, so that no one will take your crown. This is not necessarily what this word means. It is not that somebody can come and steal your crown away. But it's more that you give them. You give up. And you allow them. You give them your crown to take. Now here's the question. According to Scripture, as someone that has accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Can anyone steal your joy? Can anyone steal your hope? No. But can you allow that to be taken away from you? Yes. No one can steal our joy. The joy of our salvation is not something somebody can take from us. But many times through our decisions, through our actions, through our choices, we allow that to be given away. And we allow someone to take our joy. The same thing is true here. That is what Jesus is meaning. That no one can take your crown away from you. But you can through your choices, through your, what you do, by giving up on what you have, you can allow someone to take it. You can give it away. Now this final exhortation and promise of rewards, look at verses 12-13. through 13. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will make him, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. This idea of a pillar is an idea of strength. Someone that stands firm. But this idea also goes along with the next part. Remember when I was telling you about the city of Philadelphia. What frequently happened in the city of Philadelphia? Earthquakes. And when they had an earthquake and those buildings began to crumble and fall, what did the people do? They went out of the city. Most of these people were in the temples. And when the earthquake would shake, those pillars that held up the roof of the temple, they would begin to shake, and they would crumble, and they would fall. Jesus is saying, you're going to be a pillar in the temple of My God. You're going to stand strong. 
right in the middle. And no no matter how much shaking goes on, you're going to stand strong. Then the next thing he says, I am going, you, he, he says this, he says, he will go out from it, he won't go out from it anymore. He will not, he's going to stand strong and he's not going to have to run out and then come back in. He's going to be safe staying there. He's not going to have to leave when something happens. When something devastating happens, when everything around you starts to fall apart, you're going to be able to stay strong under the strength and protection of God. Then he says, I'm going to write on him the name of my God and the name of the the city of my God and my new name. The overcomer receives many names. These names are marks of identification because they show who they belong to. They are marks of intimacy because they show who are privileged to know Him in ways others are not. Remember when when Moses met God at the burning bush? God told him, you will know Me in a totally different way then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me. You're going to know me on a whole new level. And he shares a name with him that he had never shared with anybody else. What is it? What was the name that he shared? When Moses said, what is your name? What did God from the burning bush say his name was? I am. The choir sang about it. I am. Jesus in the, in the Gospels, repeatedly got in trouble with the Jews because every time he made an I am statement, he was making a claim about him being God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the bread. I am the living water. I am the door. Every time he made one of those statements, he was making a claim about who he was in a more intimate way. So when we have those names written on us, it is a a sign of possession. You know, when I was younger and I would go go stay at a friend's house or something, you know what my mom did? Now this is a little bit embarrassing, but it's nothing that any of the rest of the moms have not done. She would write my name in my underwear. Don't, don't you guys laugh too hard because I've taken some of your kids to camp and I saw, I could tell, whose underwear that? Not mine. Well, it's got your name in it. <laughs> Possession. God signs His name on us showing that we belong to Him and not just that. But you know what? Ginger, when we were dating, her name was Ginger Nicole Douglas. When we got married, her name became Ginger Douglas Hubbard. My mom's last name was Jones. Margaret Ann Jones. And when she married my dad, her name became Margaret Jones Hubbard. Not to show ownership, but to show intimacy. 
we became one. <laughs> so when we bear the name of Jesus, we have intimacy with Him. We become one. And then, as always, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not just the ones that this was writing to, but to all churches. As I said last week, past, current, and future churches. This message is for us now. Church, God has given us an open door. He has given us an opportunity to spread the Gospel. And no one can stop it except us by not doing it. He is telling us to hold tight to what we have. To not give up. Not sacrifice. Not allow anybody to take our joy. Not allow anybody to take our crown. But to stay faithful. Church is as much relevant today as it was when, when John wrote these words so many years ago. So this is what I challenge you. Seek God. Do what He's calling you to do. Don't give up on what He has given us. Remain faithful and do what He's called us to do. If you don't know, if you don't have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, please don't leave this place today without getting, that, getting to know Him. Let me introduce you to Him. He loves you. He wants you to come to Him. Give Him the opportunity to change your life forever. This is your chance. During this invitation time, come, do what God is leading you to do as we sing this song. Would you stand as we sing 287, Take My Life, Lead Me, Lord, 287. Take my life, lead me, Lord, take my life.
thank you for being here. Don't forget that in the fellowship hall, the WMU is having a bake sale to raise money for the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering. That all goes toward North American missions. I will tell you that there's something that was made that somebody bought when it came in the door, so it's not back there for sale anymore. Right? All day, every day. So I'm going to tell you if you guys, anybody makes the chocolate oatmeal cookies and the no bake cookie things, make them because Laura's going to buy them. So that's a good thing to know. Don't forget about that. Uh, don't forget Thursday night, men are going to be here working. And then um, Wednesday night, Bible study, prayer meeting here in the sanctuary as well, youth and children in the building. Um, I invite everybody to come for that. And continue to pray for those. I know that the walkers shared with me beforehand that this is your son. Their, their son, his wife, is having difficulties with uh, her pregnancy. And uh, there's, they're not sure it's going to... Right now she's at 23 weeks, 23 weeks, and she's already had to be to Charlotte. They're sending her home. Um, just pray. Just pray. Okay? Um, and I'm going to ask Terry if he would come as Deacon of the Week and dismiss us from our service. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for letting us be here together today. Uh, thank you for the message that we received. And Lord, let us take it and go to our hearts. Keep us all safe so we can return back to your house and your fellowship and your love. In your name, Jesus. Amen.